1: Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Alexander Mitrovic of the podcast, overweight, looking 10 years older than his actual age, and largely detrimental to the team. And I'm joined by the Joey Bryan free kick of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, 0.04XG, completely ridiculous and entirely appropriate for the occasion. And finally the Scott Parker of the podcast with no obvious plan but locking his way through in the end. It's only Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Scott Scotty Parker.
2: Yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right, thank you. Um I'm I'm looking forward to my uh, young English manager plaudits in that case. Uh yep, good. I've not thought about football at all really since the last time I was on this podcast, so it'd be interesting to see what I can remember about the game today. So you going to be talking about snooker a lot. I've been talking about snooker a lot, yeah. And Tom, how are you doing?
3: Yeah, I'm good. It's it's only in the world of football management where you can be called young at the age of about 43, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's mad. I'm 40, thank you.
1: <laughs> in terms of uh, the football, it seems weird, doesn't it? Because um, a lot of what we're talking about today, uh, we're doing a season review for those of you who don't know, seems such a long time ago. But even Leeds playing <laughs> seems such a long time ago, which is made even more crazy by the fact that the championship has only just officially finished. Um and uh, as the intro makes reference to, um, Fulham did, did win the playoff final yesterday and will be joining us in the Premier League next season. Anyone want to talk about the playoff final at all? Because it was a largely uninspiring match until extra time. Um, I think largely Leeds fans were quite pleased that Brentford lost. Um, but, you know, pick your comedy villain. I, th- I think Thomas Frank versus uh, Scott Parker is, is a pretty close run thing either way. But um, anyone, any thoughts on the playoff final? I didn't
2: watch it. I watched the snooker instead. <laughs> <laughs> you probably had a better experience as well. I did. It was so. a really good match.
3: I quite enjoyed extra time, and I really, really enjoyed that Joe Bryan goal. A lot of people were very harsh on Raya um, for his positioning, but I just thought it was brilliantly done. Really, um, hmm. and and I quite, I've I've really disliked Parker all season, but I quite warmed to him after the game because he was he was sort of understatedly and quietly emotional and it, it just seemed quite sweet really which hmm. I know it's, it's not it's, it's not the kind of sentiment that Leeds fans necessarily want to hear but that's how <laughs> I felt about
1: it. Yeah I was going to say that um, you know it's, it's been a shame for Brentford to, to not have the chance well they've had the chance of going on but to not actually have the chance of playing in the Premier League um, because it feels as though you know there's such a I guess, intelligent approach to football from them. They have a project. They sort of very carefully have to manage their squads and they know that if if it doesn't work out like it didn't last yesterday, they'd end up breaking up their squad and having to start again and go into another three year cycle whereas for Fulham it feels like the complete opposite where they've sort of lucked their way through and um, there's huge problems in their squad build up but they can get through simply by having uh, vastly superior economic backing um, and obviously parachute payments as well so in many respects I think um, it's the sort of result that I suppose a uh, 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 podcast like ours which which does try to celebrate the, the more cerebral side of the, of the game should shouldn't be feeling good about but uh, I think a lot of Leeds fans as well will be looking at Fulham and thinking the situation that they're in means that they're probably going to be up there um or down there I suppose at the bottom of the table by the
2: by the end of next season. So
1: any any thoughts on Fulham in the Premier League Darren?
2: Yeah, I think I think that they, they they're likely to struggle much as they did before. I, I I wonder whether they've learned any lessons from their previous spell up there and whether they'll do the same again and throw loads of money at it in a kind of fairly haphazard way. Um so yeah, I I think it'd be interesting to see how how Parker Copes and what what happens to his happens to his reputation next season because I think they're likely to get get mullered in quite an unpleasant way again personally but we'll just have to wait and see.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's a weird one but it feels to me like they need to bin off Mitrovic despite how, you know, how good he is in certain ways. You could see last night when they were they were attacking without before Mitrovic came on. Um their overall play was probably better than it than it is with Mitrovic in the team and I think he almost he feels kind of out of step with everything else they're trying to do um so uh, you know a lot of people say Lee should be signing Ollie Watkins and that would obviously be a great transfer for a lot of clubs in the Premier League but I think Fulham would probably be looking at him as well because I think he'd massively improve their attack in terms of the coherence of it and and uh-huh. stuff yeah
1: yeah, I think a lot of teams will be looking at Ollie Watkins right now. But Absolutely.
2: I was just going to say that I think Mitrovic's limitations are as obvious as his strengths and his limitations mean that you need to build your team around him in such a way that that actually does limit the, the, the rest of the, the kind of build-up play and, and the, the the things that you can do with your, your front line in, in the way that Tom refers to.
3: I was actually staggered by the fact that they don't seem to have another proper striker other than Mitrovic in their squad, which... Mm-hmm. I, I know we, we talk about Leeds, but Leeds have tried to solve that problem all year by getting Enketia in and then getting Augustine in we at least tried to solve it. Whereas it seems like Fulham have not really even tried, unless yeah. there's some player that I don't really know about.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm not entirely sure of the ins and outs of their squads, but they've they've sort of tried to play a fairly fluid front three whenever they've not had Mitrovic, haven't they? And um, I think it's largely worked, but I mean, it's something that we've talked about before, I think, but um, so much of what Fulham do is, is described as patient build-up, and I think that comes down to the fact that in transition they're essentially relying on well Mitrovic doesn't really do much he's a sort of fulcrum no. that you can sort of hit the ball long to and try and um, use him as a, as, a, as someone who's going to knock down to the other players but in terms of your actual uh, patient possession build-up it just doesn't really work for them because he's just always going to be off the pace and, and that means you're essentially doing your transition work with 10 players rather than 11 and I think it's just it's been so painfully obvious this season that that that's been the case for them that I think there's a lot of people who maybe think that Fulham have been quite lucky to even um, have the chance to be in the Premier League this season but I'm sure it's something that they will fix this season Um, they've also got a lot of good players coming back on loan I think so um, Anguisa I can't remember where he's been playing but he's been playing somewhere on the continent and uh, Jean-Michel Seri as well is coming back for them too Uh, both very good players and and you you only think that they could be um, decent additions to, to that team as well so yeah it's I think it's a pretty it's gonna be pretty interesting seeing what their trajectory is going to be because part of me thinks that you know if they hadn't have made it they would probably have moved Scott Parker on they'd have rethought their project through they would have thought their squad through and they would probably start building um for, for for the future whereas now it just sort of feels as though they're gonna drag on for another season then maybe go down again and then and then maybe go through the whole process again until until they finally get to a situation where they're not constantly yo-yoing between the two leagues but um, I guess we'll s- see about that um, just uh, news this week there's really very very little <laughs> to talk about um, Graham Smith has just released news that come, uh couldn- Temen Zhukov has just been sent on loan to Segunda B side rail Union, um, which yeah, that's about as exciting as it gets. Unfortunately, in the transfer market at the moment, um, there is news that there will be an AGM on Thursday um, at, at the club, which is going to involve a discussion about what the club's response to COVID is going to be and how that's going to change their approach in the transfer market. And I suspect that I suspect that Bielsa will be announced around then or maybe the end of the week and then we'll start seeing um, some sort of activity in the transfer market so that's sort of where we're at Um, but all the the boring transfer window stuff aside this is uh, the first part of our season review, um, which I think we all feel a little bit under prepared for, um, partly because it's kind of hard to know how to do a season review, and I think the beginning of the beginning of uh this this episode should be talking about how do you even do a, a season review, how we would divide things up. So um we've decided today to go up to the Cardiff three three draw at um Allen's Road because that feels like quite an important turning point in the season. Um but between that, so that's the I think that's the twenty-second match day of the championship. We had um, two EFL uh, League Cup, sorry, games in that period as well. Um, so those are the games that we're going to talk about um, today. Let's just begin by talking about how how you might divide up the, the season. I've had a sort of rough go at it, but it's it's really not worked out particularly well in terms of uh, neat and tidy um, uh, cuts. So I'll I'll just run through the way that I've divided the season up in my head. Um, and and then we can maybe talk about how we might do it differently or what other divisions that we might do so um we've got we're going to talk a little bit about the pre-season and what we were expecting before the season kicked off um, and the players that went in and out. Then I've got what I've described as the Foreshore years, predictably. Um, so the games that we played until Foreshore got injured, which was the which finished with the sixth match day of the championship, which was against Swansea. Then we had what I've described as actually a bit of a minor blip where we sort of came off the rails a little bit. Uh, we had losses against Charlton and Millwall uh, and, and that famous draw against Derby, but that was balanced off by a decent result against West Brom, uh, which maybe didn't feel decent at the time, in terms of the way we played, but, um, was, was still, I think quite important. And then I've got sort of a long patch of games where, um, I've called it the back three strikes back, but, um, because we, we ended up playing the three, three, one, three quite a lot in this period. So I've got a one, two, three, four, five, six times in, in about 10 games. So we, we, for some reason we started playing the back three quite a lot. Now, a lot of the teams we played against played two strikers, which is essentially the reason why we did it. But, um, it, it, it did sort of uh, turn around that that minor blip um, and it precipitated a fairly decent run of results. So this is match day 12 to match day 21, which is just before the Cardiff game. Uh, and in that time, we dropped four points uh, in two draws early on, thir- match days 13 and 14 uh, against Preston North End and Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, apart from that, we won every, every single game. And weirdly, um, even at the end of that run, um, by match day 21, we still weren't top of the table, um, which we didn't actually we didn't actually achieve until the following match day, which was against Cardiff City, where we ended up uh, taking a three nil um, result to three uh, three, and that's what I've called the turning point. Now that's this this the back three strikes back section is um, quite a lot of games, so it's match day 12 to match day 21, um, and I guess the big question is how you might split that um, run of games in two, um, but. Anyone uh, want to jump in with thoughts about how I've split up the season and, and suggestions that maybe a better division?
3: It seems like the logical way to do it, to me, um, I don't think there's an obvious better way to do it. Because, I mean, split, splitting up that big run of games that you were just talking about, I mean, they do feel like one thing to me. Um, and, oh. and it did it did feel like a sustained run that was sort of not... not it didn't feel like we were overwhelmingly great during that one but run, but we just kept winning and that was the other, you know, that was the theme of that.
2: Yeah, that's interesting because to me, my my kind of emotional memory of the the Preston North End draw and the Wednesday game was that we were actually quite poor in both of those games.
3: The Wednesday game, definitely, I think, yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. But but I sort of think that that being promoted from the Championship it must be predicated on on how many runs of mm. five to six wins you can put together. And I think for me, that run of seven wins. Uh, just before the Cardiff game was actually what broke the back of the season in a, in a lot of different ways. So I'd kind of put that apart, that, that seven-game run. But other than that, I think you've kind of more or less, more or less divided up in, in in a way which fits in with how I'd have done it. Because I think after that point,
1: we don't drop out of the top two. No. at all? I'm pretty sure, sure that's true, yeah. No, we so don't. the last time we were outside the top two was match day 17 where we where we beat Luton. Um, it, there's some really weird yeah, we beat Luton and went from third to second and from that point on we were never outside the top two. Um, yeah. And yeah interestingly you mentioned the the runs of wins because there's obviously that run of wins just before lockdown happens as well um, and that involves similar sorts of teams. So in my head, thinking back over the season, it's, I have to sort of make an effort to distinguish between those those, two, I mean, they're slightly different. There's Bristol cities in there, but you've still got teams like Reading, Middlesbrough, Hull City, and Huddersfield. And um, in many respects, you know, those were those were the sorts of teams that we did well against. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, th- I think in 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 many respects, the the story of this season was that we beat the teams that we were expected to beat. Um, a lot more than we did last season. Um, Although having said that, as we're going to talk about, you know, it did feel as though there were quite a lot of results in at least in that first half as well, um, where we, when we dropped points, we, we, either didn't deserve it or we were sort of the victims of, of, of unfortunate circumstances so you've got the Charlton loss which was uh, that sort of freak own, own goal off Stuart Dallas and when Macaulay Bond sort of hit it straight at Kiko and he palmed it into into Dallas and then we just couldn't get the we just couldn't break them down they just sat deep and um, we, we didn't break them down well enough and then you've got the Millwall game where there's the um, uh, red card for Berardi in 14 yeah. minutes I think uh, the Swansea game where we dominated them and they just sort of scaved that goal at the end there's the Forest game where we we were on top for most of the game and they uh, scavved a goal in that. There's the, the derby result where we again dominated and they got that goal with pretty much their only shot on target in like the 89th minute as well. Um, and so I wondered if you guys thought that, that we've cut off at, at, at Cardiff um, because I do feel as though it was a, a turning point. Um, was the season before Cardiff relatively comfortable for us and... and why do you think? What impact do you think the Cardiff game had on the games that came after that? Because it was it was really after the Cardiff game that we we really had our major blip, um, and um, and up until that Nottingham Forest game, which I think will be the the turning the second turning point in the next episode, um, that was really the the moment at which um, it felt to me that had we not given away those that that three 0 lead against Cardiff, we may well have just walked the the league in a way that we didn't otherwise.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I felt like right up until what the seventieth minute of that Cardiff game, I was I was certain that we were that we were going to continue, kind of being really strong and to push right through it. Um, but I felt that that the way that we kind of collapsed in that game really kind of um, made the players feel a pressure that they hadn't necessarily felt up until that point of the season. I have to say that up until that point where we went on that seven game win- winning run, my feeling was that we were just bubbling under really that we that we weren't quite meeting the two game two points per game that you needed. Um and that that, that yeah it, it, the season could really have still gone either way despite the fact that we were controlling large portions of games, I still felt that we were kind of bubbling under in terms of results and I, I was a bit worried that we were in for a repeat of Last season, but without necessarily the kind of spectacular elements of it that we'd that we'd had the year before.
3: Yeah, I I felt like um, the first sort of ten fifteen games of the season or so they they're very different looking back than they felt at the time because I think everyone was still a little bit scarred by you know, last season and by the playoffs. And um, games like, for example, Nottingham Forest, uh, the second game of the season, uh, uh, if you look back on it, it, that was a game that we dominated. We actually created quite a lot of chances and we, you know, easily deserved to win. But at the time, it felt more like, oh, here we go again, Leeds, yeah. um, you know, letting in a soft goal towards the end. And uh, I can't remember exactly when that goal was scored, actually. But uh, it was, um, yeah, it felt like kind of, uh, and and the Derby one, especially, uh, where we absolutely dominated them and uh, and click missed a penalty and and then they yeah as you say they got a goal with their only shot basically so it felt um, everything felt a bit more suffused with weird meanings in that first ten or fifteen games I think and then uh, as Darren says I, I think when we hit that seven game winning run a lot of those feelings started to disappear I think um, yeah and then obviously Cardiff happened and. Uh, You know, it wasn't that long after Cardiff happened that the Birmingham game happened, which I don't think the Birmingham game would have happened if the Cardiff game, obviously it would have happened, but um, <laughs> the, uh, I don't think that the Birmingham game would have played out the same way if we hadn't had that collapse against Cardiff.
1: Mm. I also think that, you know, as with all of our winning streaks, <laughs> that it's easy to look back on them on paper and, and sort of see them as wins and, and sort of move on. But for example, the Luton game, we, we really dragged that one out. The Reading game came out of nowhere right at the end as well. Obviously, we had the, the Middlesbrough 4 0, which was which was a nice respite, but the Huddersfield 2 0 nil was hard really work. yeah they really, really made tough. us work hard, hard in that game as well um so yeah, I think it's it's I think it's important to to remember as well that you know a lot of these results were I mean there's there's other games as well. I'm just looking back now the Barnsley game where we won two nil again that looks a lot more comfortable on paper than it really was. The West Brom game was stressful as anything. Yeah. Um. The Birmingham Centenary game was um again that was hard work too. So it, it's it's an it's an interesting one because I think I, for me it felt as though this season we we like I think you've said. Bubbling away, I, I feel. Like, I I agree. I feel like we were on the cusp of just being really quite good uh, this season, and it just never really happened. And it felt like we did everything just slightly the hard hard hardest way possible. Now, I'm obviously going to say that the 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 loss of Foreshore was uh, was big in that. But <laughs> do you think there's any? Do you think there's any other reasons why why we sort of seemed like we were on the cusp of brilliance, but we never we never really had a sort of run of games where we just blew everyone away uh, game after game
2: i think largely it's to do with the way that teams set up to play against us um very very often sitting back deep soaking up pressure um and it's although it's it although we make a lot of chances in those types of games it's actually very difficult to look good in those types of games i think um so i think that's partly to do with it i think the there was I'm trying to remember when, when Pablo started kind of struggling with his hamstring. I think that probably contributed a little bit, but although I think that largely happened after the Cardiff game. Um, yeah. And, but I think you're right. I think for sure not being in there and having to kind of rethink the, the way that the midfield operated, having to rethink the way that the wings operated on the right hand side, particularly really made a difference in that period too.
3: I just looked it up, Darren and um, Pablo. Basically, was out from the Charlton game to the Sheffield Wednesday game. So it really, it really did basically coincide with our little mini blip.
2: Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Thanks.
3: One thing I found quite interesting was if you look at that uh, winning run of seven games, they're mostly against teams uh, from mid-table to the bottom half that try and play football. Um, yeah, you know, QPR, Blackburn, Luton, maybe not quite so much, but Reading, Middlesbrough at the time. Uh, and Hull are all you know teams that try and play, and they're the teams that we're best against. I think teams that aren't very good that try and play.
2: I think that version of Luton earlier in the season was much more open than the than the Nathan Jones version towards the end, if I if I, m- my memory is correct. Hmm.
1: I think as well the the fact that we played, I think because it was in November, we we basically only really played we played maybe two games out of five where we didn't or six where we didn't have. um we didn't have the back 3 and yeah. we didn't have that sort of run of playing the 3313 for the rest of the season and that's not because teams weren't playing two strikers against us they they definitely were but i think the teams were much more likely in the second half of the season to sit deep against us because I think they'd seen that seven-game run where they were like, "We'll go out and play how we usually play. We'll play some sort of variation of either a four-four-two with with or without a diamond, or a four-four-one-one, or a 3 uh, 5 And teams just got punished against us. And I think in the second half of the season, teams were a lot less likely to do that kind of approach against us. Um, and that's why you know we 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 sort of labored a little bit more um, uh, against Early it. On yeah i think so and um yeah i think look it, it's 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 easy to forget and we shouldn't talk too much about this but i think because it will be in the next episode but we we really are um maybe misunderestimating just how much a blip we had um, after the Cardiff game because the the results really are quite poor until we go um, until we get to Nottingham Forest and then it, and then it sort of turned back around and if you look at the run of results from Forest onwards, I mean from Brentford onwards, yeah. it's literally that one fluke result against Cardiff and, and then and then the fluke result against Luton and that's basically it. Uh, everything else we we sort of powered our way home to the um, to the end of the season. So um, I do think that that sort of ties in with the notion that. Cardiff actually hit us for six in a way because I think in Cardiff the Cardiff game was really like the first as you've mentioned the first time that, that those sort of psychological demons really hit uh, yeah. I think in in other games you know it was sort of it was it was um yes there were results that were disappointing where you kind of think we've dominated this game but we've we've ended up not getting all the points but I think that game was sort of like if you're if you can get a three nil lead and then throw it away you're never you're never going to be able to dominate enough to feel safe yeah. Um and I think that has a huge had a huge psychological impact on us. Um and and I guess the, the end of the season was very much about sort of ameliorating that and and, and putting it behind us. But we're at a risk of talking about uh the the next section so let's let's go back and talk about the uh, pre season so um obviously there's a few things we can talk about here there's a number of games that were played um which yeah i i don't know how important they are. I think a lot of people sort of rely on this sort of calorie game as a i don't, uh, as an important one, uh, and I'm not sure why, other than in that game we played the three-three-one-three and this sort of iteration that we played it in the season, and we looked quite good. And um, obviously there was a, the Leaf Davis uh, situation.
2: For me, the reason that um, the Calgary game is important is because I think, if my mem- memory serves correctly, it's the game where I realised that Ben White was absolutely class and that we didn't need to worry about the centre half position.
1: Right.
3: The the thing I found interesting about that Calgary game was that, if I remember correctly, um Forshaw was essentially playing the position that we saw Dallas play a few times this yeah. season. I don't yeah. think we ever actually saw Foreshaw play that position in the regular season in the end, but because he got injured, obviously. But he was playing that sort of um wing black slash midfield role. Yeah. Um yeah. where where he, you know, he, he went over to the right when we're in possession and then covered on the left out of possession. I think it's that way around. Yeah. Um but that that was really interesting to me
1: at the time and that's why I thought it was worth flagging it up. Mm. Yeah. I do think that's important. And I think, you know a lot of the story of this season has been and we've said this before has been about Bielsa being happy to make tactical changes in the way that he wasn't in the first season so it's about him feeling comfortable enough to play players who who can give him that degree of, uh, of tactical flexibility um other than that the games we the games that we had in pre-season were against York Guisley uh, Manchester United Tadcaster Albion Western Sydney Wanderers and we had a behind closed door games against Al Ittihad, which I, as far as any of the fans are concerned didn't happen because we have no idea what happened um, and then there's a game against Girona as well which I've completely forgotten about Um what were the thoughts from? What were the, what were your sort of overriding thoughts from preseason? Because I think there was probably a, a certain amount of nervousness um, that we had actually the same um, sort of sense of in the in the preseason the year before, where we had no idea what to expect from from Bielsa. Um, and actually, what I what I thought so interesting about the original preseason under Bielsa was that we played sort of fairly stodgy, uninspiring football until the last Palmas game, where um, largely Bielsa had been experimenting with formations, and then he sort of settled. On this is roughly the sort of formation that we're going to play in the in the championship, and it looked amazing. I I I still look back on that last part. I was I was at the game and just remember sitting there thinking that this is incredible. This is I never thought we would see football like this being played at Elland Road. Um, how how would you say that the the this season's preseason sort of mirrored that? Was it was it as much experimental? I mean, for me, the the big game that stood out really was the was the Manchester United one because I thought it might be a, a, a fairly good sense of just how much we. How far we'd come, and it really didn't—it really wasn't that inspiring a game.
2: Yeah, they were much further ahead of us in their preparation, as as I recall. I think they'd, they'd done a, a few more weeks, so I didn't—I didn't really read anything in, into that as as a thing. And um, in, in fact, I tend not to really think about the games during preseason or the results or even the performances, but but just you know, like was was looking for those tactical developments, like you were talking about. So I like you know looked at Forshaw. I was looking for the sort of player that Ben White was. Um, I was looking to see, you know, whether whether Kiko Casilla could become a, a good goalkeeper suddenly after after the the, the derby, uh, uh, yeah, the, the derby aberration the previous season. Um, so it was more things, more things along that sort of lines that I was looking for really. But I kind of um, still felt that by the time we got to the Bristol game, I didn't really feel like I had any any real idea about what the season was was likely to to look like. Um, I, I, I didn't feel any more certain at all.
3: I always find a I always find the preseason quite interesting under Bielsa. Well, I have done mm-hmm. the past two years, just because he'll do really weird things, and and the things that he does in preseason are almost like a caricature of how people talk <laughs> about Bielsa. You know, like I remember the first preseason he was playing click as a centre back in the middle of a three, and um, things like that. No, there wasn't quite so much of that this year, but I think there was less room for it as well because half only about half the squad went to Australia, so. Um, mm you know Bielsa was obviously not happy about the Australian trip altogether he he stayed back in the UK didn't he with uh mm. with the uh with people like Costa trying to get them up to speed and then only flew out for the games so it was a bit of a weird preseason in that regard and the Manchester United game in general was just a bizarre event with all fireworks and flamethrowers and mm. you know neon lighting everywhere it was a really weird thing to watch but um uh we we did some good things against Man United in the first half as well, but I think it became very obvious that they were way fitter than us uh, further along in their preparations in the second half. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a few players that we didn't have because it was just simply because of fitness, wasn't it? There was, I think, the reason why players like Costa and... was was Did Janssen not go for some reason? Was it- Janssen was, was already gone by that point, I think.
2: Yeah, he was, yeah. Oh,
1: uh, right, OK. Yeah. But Ben um, White didn't go, I don't think. Ben White stayed behind. Uh, right, all the okay. new so signings the- basically stayed behind. Because they weren't fair enough, essentially, yeah. And he wanted to stay and work with them, yeah. Um, In terms of the ins and outs, so we've already mentioned that Pontus had already gone by that point. Um, Kimar Roof left as well. Uh, Those are the two big... Um, so, so, um, transfers out how do we how do we look back on those two transfers at the time and how do we look back at them now um
3: tom that was another interesting thing about pre-season actually is that bielsa seemed quite set on using roof as a sort of number 10 behind bamford um i think every single game while roof was still here he started him in that position so i don't think bielsa was particularly planning on selling bamford uh, roof um Obviously, when the when, but then seven million for a player who's only got one year left on his contract. I think most people sort of accepted it at the time, and I certainly thought it seemed like good money for Roof at the time.
2: Yeah, I was never asked about Roof going. Um, I, I, I never kind of particularly rated him, to be honest. Uh, I always felt he looked busy without without any great, uh, without any great impacts, given albeit he did score a number of goals in that first season, but yeah, I was I was a bit worried, um, because I. In in the in the previous season, I'd felt we were sent, sent a centre back shot all the way through the season, and um and and I was I was tiring of of the Pontus Janssen show. Like I think like some people were. I know that I know that there were mixed views on that. Um, so I felt that that Ben White coming in was was great, and and seeing him in that that friendly was was great. But I also did feel that we needed a, a Pontus replacement as well as as well as Ben White, and obviously I've been proved wrong in in the long term but but I still I still feel we, we might have been a bit lucky with injuries in that part of the team throughout the season to kind of get away with with that 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 uh, number of players. I think Jack Clark, you know, Jack Clark went as well and 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 Bailey Peacock-Farrell went to Birmingham. My my overriding feeling about that, you know, in hindsight is that we've had both of their pants down for those two players and I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and then, in terms of incomings, then obviously Helda Costa, and uh, we brought in Eddie and Ketia, I think quite late. Did we bring him in quite late? Yeah, um, it was late, yeah. Because we had to do all of that preparation on showing him uh, PowerPoint slides and stuff um and ilan meslier as well came in um too which obviously darren is going to wax lyrical about but um thoughts thoughts on the the incomings darren
2: yeah i mean because we're only covering the first half of the season i've not got a lot to say about melier except that i saw him in a few 23s games and he looked great and that was where i decided that he was going to be one of the best keepers in the world <laughs> um but uh other than that yeah um yeah, obviously we were all excited about Costa coming in, and 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 thought we were we were getting one sort of player. And I think actually in 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 the event we've got a slightly different type of player than than the one we thought we were getting. But I I think he is someone that's growing into his time at Leeds, and I think he'll be even better next year. Um, so I, w- I was excited to see him come in. I was excited for Inquietia because um, it's always nice to see you know players from a from a allegedly top Premier League club come down and play in the Championship. Um whether it worked out or not, I guess, is is a different matter in the end. But but I, at the start of the season I was excited to see Costa and Enketia and in, in, in and around the team together for sure.
1: Let's talk a little bit about Enketia at this point because it's probably a good good time to talk about him because we, we largely had him in the first half of the season and that was it. Um uh Tom, what what's your takeaway on the Enketia situation?
3: I thought He basically did as well as could be expected coming off the bench most of the times he came off the bench. He changed games for us. He won us a few extra points. I think there's something to be said for... Um, in, in these Bielsa teams, having a sort of go-to substitution. Like things always seem a bit more comfortable when we've got one. Uh, last season, uh, the season before, we had Jack Clark for that period where Jack Clark was coming on at half time mm. most games and changing things. And towards the end of this season, we had Pablo coming on at half time and changing things. And it's, and, and Ketia sort of filled that role for the first half of the season. It was it was nice to know that we had a player that we knew was capable of sort of changing the timbre and the tempo of the game on the bench ready to come on Um, and yeah he did score some crucial goals for us and and made an impact I was not particularly impressed any of the times that I saw him start but uh, if he'd have been happy to stay for the second half of the season and play the same role I think we would have probably broken a 100 points barrier to be honest
1: do you think it was a style thing with Ketia that he didn't work out
3: I think so I think he was getting better all the time and I think he would have continued to get better so Mm. it's possible that he you know he may have eventually adjusted
2: yeah, I think I think what's what um, when I rewatched the the Cardiff home game um, just before we played Cardiff at the start of uh, after post lockdown games, I did notice that that when Enketia replaced Bamford in that game, our, our defensive structure completely fell apart and the the way that we pressed completely changed. Um, and he was quite ineffective in that role, um, although he was good for stretching stretching the Cardiff defense and got one of their plays sent off and all that kind of thing. So in in the end, you know, he, he's not a like for like replacement for Bamford, and I think we were trying to make him operate in that way, oh. um, and I, I'm not sure it would have ever really worked out in in, in that particular way. To be honest, I think if there there were times when it was good that we had them both on the pitch, um, and and that worked at times, um, but as a as a replacement, I I don't really feel he kind of cut the mustard in that role. Mm.
1: Right, so let's move on to the, the, the different divisions that we've uh, made in the season. So the first one that I've called the foreshore years until Foreshaw's injury on uh, against, uh, well, I think it came off the back of his game against Swansea. I think he played the full game, but um, picked up the injury during that game and uh, that was it, him, done for the, the whole season. I
2: think he was struggling with that injury in pre-season, you know, John, from what I've heard. Right. I think I think it was something that he carried through those first few games. Yeah
1: it would make sense because he did end up having to take a t- take a surgery for it and um i guess that means that there was some kind of structural issue that was constantly um nagging and it, because it, it, he did actually come on in the Cardiff game in the sec- uh, sorry the Charlton game in the second half mm. um after we were already 1-0 down and, and uh, I, that was basically that that was the beginning of the end and that, that the the saga then became oh will he get back to fitness just on his own and it just kind of kept dragging and dragging and dragging until they got to a point where he was like look i'm gonna to have to do something about this now because otherwise it's going to go on on yeah. longer as well but um yeah so we've got the games against bristol bristol city win then the, the the draw against forest with that with that lucky goal uh then wins against wigan brentford which was an important win i think um especially because Brentford, I think, had they not had a bad start to the season, would have probably um, gone up automatically. Uh, and then, the obviously, the, the Stoke City game, which is probably the pinnacle of, of Leeds under Bielsa. Again, I'm probably biased in saying that before the uh, the Swansea game, where we, again, dominated but, but conceded a goal late on. Um, this was a period that we talked about a lot on the podcast in terms of control, Uh, And you've um, suggested, I think, Darren, that that maybe we were too controlled or at least we controlled without any sort of real punch. Um, How do you look back on this period where if you actually look back on the XG plot, the rolling XG plot, we were just producing way more XG than than we did for the rest of the season and we were conceding way less XG than we were for the rest of the season. How do you look on this period where we sort of maybe had our strongest-ish
2: team? Yeah, no, with, with kind of, I, I really do enjoy watching, watching games from that period of time. I, I, I really enjoy watching the, the, the opening game against Bristol, the Stoke Away game I've watched on numerous occasions. Um So I, I I wouldn't say that I feel that we didn't have punch. It's just that the results weren't quite going for us. I think is what I would is is what I would say. Um I thought I thought we were absolutely fantastic in that period, and and I guess the reason for that I've been thinking about it a little bit. I know that I've said many times that I like Pablo on the right instead of in the middle. Actually, what I like is Pablo being able to move into the middle with the control behind him of foreshore and click, and um, really keeping things solid for us, and 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 giving giving Pablo that kind of space to play. Um, and giving giving Pablo opportunity to move into gaps without necessarily thinking about who's running in behind him and what you know what these defensive responsibilities are. So, yeah, we we were fantastic in that first part of the season. Although the the you know there were times when the results didn't quite go for as The Swansea home game, the Forest home game, and perhaps our home get our home form as a as a full thing wasn't quite was was a problem that needed to be solved in that first part of the season as well.
3: I would just echo a lot of what Darren said, but I think I would add, you know, adding to that home thing, the atmosphere at Elland Road uh, for the first, te- well, for a lot of the first half of the season was quite poisonous. In whenever it looks like we might not win, um, uh, wh- whenever it whenever it got to the point where um, you know we were trying to get a goal after seventy minutes, or you know the other team scored at any point, um, it, it would get very very tense. Um, and and people would start you know talking about oh, they're doing it again, we're throwing it away and it would and I think that probably did get to the players at times. Uh, so I think you've got to give credit to them for you know plowing through
1: that and you mm.
3: know and putting it behind
1: them. It's almost like one of those uh, relationships where people break up and then get back together, but then, which is all well and good until someone starts bringing up things that have happened in the past. <laughs> it, that's how it felt very much to me. It was sort of as soon as, and again, that's a, that sort of culminates in the Cardiff victory where it was like, see, you always say this and then you end up doing that. But, you always um, do this.
2: Just fucking shoot. <laughs> well,
3: there was a, yeah, there was a, the derby game especially, I was. Stood right next to one of the most negative people I've ever encountered at Elland Road, who was just moaning throughout the entire game when we were playing incredibly. And me and my mate, I was with, we were talking to him, saying, Are you not enjoying this? Is this not good? And then, of course, that has to be the game where we do actually let it slip at the end. And he, you know, yeah. he had the last laugh.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, my friends actually who would say that they didn't enjoy this season as much as last season and I think a lot of that was to do with the weight of expectation where we we were expecting the team to win every game and uh, even even when you then go and win that game, your weight of expectation then shifts to the next game and it's just the whole time being in that tension of being like we always have to be at our best all the time. We can't really let anything slip because if we let anything slip, we need to have a ten-point gap by the end, or we're not gonna, we're not gonna make it. We, we we are not gonna win those games at the end of the season. We threw away all of these points at the end of last yeah. year, etc. And it just added to, I think, maybe the stress of the the of the uh, of, of the appearances. And I think as well with the fact that, like you said, we were dominating games and still not coming through. It that just puts a whole level of added pressure on fans. I think because, and and again, culminating in the in the a Cardiff game where you think, well, if we can dominate games, be three nil up, and then still manage to confect a like a drop of points, then then you don't feel comfortable at all as a fan because you can never you can never be like, yeah, look, we've not given away a two goal lead this season, we will we, we'll be fine. You're still thinking, yeah, look, we've given away a three goal lead, and and that dragged on. Um, I wondered if we could do a quick pop quiz um, for the <laughs> two of you. Do you think you could name the team that went out against Bristol City in the first game of the season? Oh, Jesus. I reckon I could, yeah.
3: Definitely. Go on right. then, Tom. Right. Uh, Douglas at left back, Cooper, White, Dallas. Yeah. Um, Phillips, uh, Forshaw, Harrison,
1: Click, um, Pablo, Bamford and Casir in that. Yeah, perfect. So th- the reason I've said that is because actually a player that we've not talked about is Luke Ayling, who d- didn't start until... Uh, fairly deep in the season he didn't come on until match day 10 um, so he was out until past the Charlton game um, and and that sort of coincides I think fairly well with with um, with Forshaw not being in the team as well so uh, I guess my question is how how good we would we have been if we'd have had Ailing available at the beginning of the season as well
3: I think we would have been even more controlling actually because I think Ailing uses the ball better than Dallas does on the whole Dallas is decent enough at getting forward and getting crosses in and, and working hard, but I think Ayling uses the ball more intelligently and that would have made us even better, I think.
2: But we might not have had that beautiful Stoke goal, so I'm quite happy to, <laughs> to, to forgive Dallas giving the ball away a few times for that.
3: Oh, yeah, but imagine
2: if Ailing had scored that.
3: Imagine, imagine the celebration and him going on about it every week. It would have been even better. That, that, that's, that is true.
1: That is true. Yeah. Um, is there anything else from this this sort of period that you want to uh, talk about? Um, so, I, I guess we could. So we've got the Brentford the Brentford game. I think stands out. Um, the Stoke game as obviously, as I think, was maybe the pinnacle of of Bielsaism at uh, Leeds. I, I I think going from
2: Stoke away, winning three nil, and then battering <laughs> battering Swansea the following week and not managing to get a, a, even a point out of it is peak Bielsaism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <a> <laughs> <with> <laughs> Yeah. And we should talk about the AFL Cup as well because there was the
1: game against Salford, which was, was quite an interesting one. I think we played um we actually played a three five two in that game as well, which is um it's not showed up on the on transfer mark, but um it was definitely an interesting one. Um I I am just gonna have a look at the um the the lineup now because i can't even remember who we played we played a lot of young players i remember that yeah this is the first instance i think of um did Enketia start yeah Enketia did start yeah, yeah. and costa started as well yeah. shackleton yeah. played jack clark started um mm-hmm. leaf davis played as a as i think an outside center back in a back three yeah um yeah and then Alioski is as the wing back um and um, click plays click plays yeah. yeah played yeah. didn't he McCalmont came on. Oh, right, okay. uh, yeah, Jack Harrison came on, and Patrick Bamford came on. Um, I think maybe that was when we went to the three-five-two. Maybe when when Bamford came on, I think yeah. we, we then pushed um, pushed them to two strikers. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun a, a fun uh, outing. For that one it was obviously a game against Adam Rooney as well, who had just signed for huge amounts of money. Oh, and it was all the class of,
2: 90, class of ninety-two talk, wasn't it as well? yeah,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then obviously we had the, 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 I mean, maybe this is the peak Bielsaism, going from Stoke City uh, away <laughs> 3-0 and then and then losing 6-7 on pens at home uh, in, in like two or three days later. Um, but takeaways from the EFL Cup? Because we were, I think in the Carabao Cup, we were quite pleased to be out of it, really. Um, yeah. But yeah, anything more notable to say about the EFL Cup? Well, the
3: only thing I like to say is I'd quite like to see us go for one of these cups next season. Why not? Like you know, we'll be playing fewer games anyway. I quite like to see us go for both cups, like like Bielsa did when he was at Bilbao. It'd just be nice to at least have a have a try. Yeah,
2: the the only other takeaway that I've got from it is that Jack Harrison missing a penalty uh, in in the second round game against Stoke seemed to be what cemented his relationship with the Leeds fans in a positive way. Really bizarrely, because people were singing him singing him off the pitch because he would played quite well in the game, um, and I think that kind of. It was the moment he was accepted once he'd missed a penalty. It was a really strange kind of thing. Hmm
1: so let's move on from there to the to the sort of minor blip which I guess really does begin with the uh, with perhaps the Swansea game and again you see that 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 sort of age old pattern which is losing a game which we probably on paper should have well in reality should have won yeah um, and then that's sort of sending us into a bit of a into a bit of a spiral um so the games were um, a win against uh, Barnsley which we've already said was maybe a little bit trickier than we than we thought um a, a draw with Derby which was Again, probably some of the best football that we've seen under Bielsa. We were outstanding. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was that like Chris Martin goal in whatever it was, eighty ninth minute or something, and it was—I mean—that was almost that was almost like you can't write this sort of stuff, wasn't it? It was, it was incredibly parodic of of yeah. Leeds, but. Um, yeah and
2: I think that was Pete Bamford's missed chances as well if i if I remember correctly in that game there were there were three or four really, really big chances for him um and and that's what I felt people were starting to get on his back more more than ever in that game, particularly. And-
3: I think that had a knock-on effect as well because after Click missed that penalty, he stopped taking our penalties again until he took one towards the end of the season and yeah. I think he would have scored every other penalty if he'd taken them all and Bamford mm. did miss one at one point, didn't he? I can't remember if that cost us points or QPR not. Away. Yeah. Keep, did, uh, could you QPR away, yeah.
1: QPR away? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah.
3: Yeah, and that, that, that we did lose that game, didn't we? So that, that we cost did, yeah. us points as well and I'm sure Click would have scored that if, he did, if he'd have taken it. So that, that did have a little knock-on effect as well.
1: Mm yeah I think I think that's a, a fair one and then obviously the Charlton result where again we we sort of gave away and it seemed to be as we were giving away really cheap goals and then we were just unable to break down our positions. Um and then obviously the, the Millwall game came there as well which was the, the red card in the, at the 14th minute and then we sort of got back into that game at half time I think and, and made it 2-1 but then again couldn't break them down yeah. um, obviously between that was the West Brom game where again that was the Probably the most tentative game perhaps we've seen under bielsa until the Barnsley game right at the end of the season um but again that real that was a really sort of tetchy period of the season and I think it all kind of stems back from that first that first loss of the season where it was again you sort of have this overriding feeling that you know we've we've lucked out this far we've got results where we where we needed to, but something's going to happen something's going to go wrong, uh, and then we'll collapse back into the 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 leads of the last four games of last season <laughs> sorry
3: just to briefly touch on that charlton game again
1: i did feel like
3: out out of the first half of the season that was possibly the only game that we lost that it felt like to me at the time we you know we sort of deserved to lose um mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the underlying numbers and xg and stuff like that said about that game but I, I definitely remember thinking yeah fair enough it wasn't like those other games we didn't do well enough to win that yeah, yeah. I can,
1: I can just, I'm just pulling up the numbers now so we can find out. But I, th- I, I do think that that's true. And there's, I think there's, there's only a couple of games where we actually deserved to lose per XG. I think one of them was the Millwall game, which I think you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's reasons for that, mm. isn't there? Um, just trying to see now. Sorry, I've got a really confusing
2: uh, have your team stats.
1: Um, yeah, so the Charlton game. <laughs> you'll be surprised
2: uh, i think we dominated xg in that game if i remember yeah correctly. we did oh, right. yeah, we yeah.
1: created 2xg and we conceded 0.38 <laughs> right um, so i think I, I, this we,
3: was a game where i watched with like kids and family buzzing around so it's probably says more <laughs> about my experience watching the game than it does about well, uh, the actual game itself. i think
1: i remember a lot of people on our channel afterwards saying well we deserve to lose that one and i think it was because i think it was because we just sat ba- that they sat back after the goal and we really didn't do much to break them down in terms of we didn't look like we were dominating in the way that we had in other games so i think a lot of people just sort of read that that way the the millwall game was was one of the games that we lost on xg um, I think there was maybe two two games. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, but uh, I can't remember what the other one was. But, maybe the... but one of those
2: was a penalty, wasn't it, for the for the yeah. for the Millwall game? There was the uh, their penalty Just... to take into the XG. Right, yeah. Um, so, so there
1: is that apparently, which shouldn't have been given. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, did he got his red card rescinded as well?
2: He didn't did, it?
3: yeah. Right? He did. Which, which, which yeah. basically never happens as well. So you you, know, you really yeah. know it was a, a major mistake.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at the West Brom game as well. We 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 got 1.92 xg to their 0.85. So again, that's a, a game which we've deserved to win. But I, I remember at the time looking back on it and thinking, we really was that the one where we where Bamford scored off Semi Ajayi's Shoulder. No, that was the that so, was the other game. That was the. So what was
3: the first game? The first. I can't remember who scored, but we did score fairly early, and we were hanging on for a long time
2: in the second half. It oh, was yeah. that. It was Alioski with the deflection. No. The West uh, Brom. We're talking about yeah, West yeah, Brom. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Alioski with the deflection off Kyle Bartley.
1: Yeah, because right. I remember both of the. Oh, so it was off. But the other one was a deflection as well.
2: So both the, yeah, the, the, other, yeah the other yeah, the other one was a was an actual own goal.
3: Whereas I think this one was given to Alioski.
1: Ah, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think, again, that's, that's a, another reason why I didn't feel like we necessarily dominated that but game. But we defended absolutely
2: magnificently in yeah. the second half of that game. We, they were never going to get through us. As... This was a game where
1: Pat Bamford got a lot of um, accolades as well, right? The, the West Brom at home game. Is that yeah. right? I think yeah. it's the West
3: Brom away game, isn't it? That, uh, maybe, or maybe both, because he came on at half-time in West Brom away. Uh, Thor and Ketia and I think a lot of people saw what he was all about then it, it was kind of an obvious comparison but maybe he got a lot of accolades for the home game as well I can't remember yeah he
2: did he, he, I remember his his, his pressing particularly been, a, been outstanding in that West Brom game and I think that was where we saw the, the first kind of evidence of Warrior Bamford this year <laughs> you know where he really kind of <laughs> goes out just to scrap and he's not really bothered about anything else there
3: is something about his running style when he really he really gets into that pressing <laughs> that just yeah. I don't know he, he, his legs are just going everywhere and his arms are pumping like he's <laughs> pretending it'd be the
1: T-1000 or something. He keeps his arms quite low which makes him look yeah. quite funny when he yeah. runs, right? Yeah. He sort of like he sort of <laughs> lollops Yeah. <the> <laughs> And obviously the way that we press up front as well is is by having two, well, a, a player less than their, their build-up players. And so yeah. it means he has to sort of do those sort of long loping. First, make sure you close the the passing lane down and then press the yeah. the, the ball player. It's, yeah, it's a it, bit like watching always... kids playing football in the park sometimes, isn't it? Just <laughs> well, everyone running after the ball, it's great. Just, just those really long sort of like loping, <laughs> curved runs. Uh, yeah. And I, I love it. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm quite a big fan of Pat Bamford.
2: <laughs> I really? You should have mentioned it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, far be it from me to have bugbears. Someone's just deleted something from the... Uh... Sorry, that might have been me by accident. What are you doing? That's that back, sorry. That's back. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the, the, the minor blip. Um, what do we think turns turns things around after that Millwall game? Um, so you've had that run of games where it's been uh, Leeds have been dominating everyone, and then suddenly you hit Derby draw, Charlton loss, West Brom just about win, Millwall loss, uh, and then we turn things around and have that run of however many games it is. Um, nine games where was it ten games where there's seven wins in a row and then uh, there's yeah. a win against Birmingham two draws what do you think turned it around is, there, is it simply the, the the teams that we played against at this point because I'm just looking through it now and it's Birmingham win Preston draw Preston the sixth at the time we've got a draw against Sheffield Wednesday which I think most people would say it was a good result, given that Sheffield Wednesday were third at this point, and it's it's crazy to think that Sheffield Wednesday just had that wild run in the middle of the season where they just won everything.
3: It's not like a Gary Monk team to fall away like that. No. Yeah, <laughs> it was peak <laughs> Gary Monk,
1: is what it was. Um, but yeah, and then you've got sort of QPR who were ninth, Blackburn who were sixteenth, Luton who are. Were- Twentieth, Reading who are eighteenth, Middlesbrough who are twentieth, Huddersfield were nineteenth, and then Hull who are twelfth, and obviously just about to to really dunk it down the pan. Um, so I think that it is worth saying that if you actually look at those results, you know, we did just beat the teams that we needed to beat. And I think that was a sort of testament to this period of the season. But is it simply the case that we were playing against lower, uh, te- well, teams who were lower in the table and we, we just sort of made the most of it?
2: Yeah, but we don't always do that, do we? You know, in previous seasons, we haven't we haven't done that. So I took it as a really strong indicator that, that you know we we were really strong that we were serious about staying around for the season that we were making sure that we got the results that we that we needed there were some really good performances in there i remember the first 60 minutes against blackburn being very strong obviously the middlesbrough 4-0 you know so i i think that yeah, we we were playing lower ranks teams, but when they're in front of you, you have to beat them, and and, yeah. and and we did that, you know, really consistently.
3: It's probably worth mentioning the Birmingham game as well because that almost feels like its own thing because it was the centenary game, and yeah, it was all this build up around it. Uh, you know, Elland Road, there were all the you know the luminaries on the pitch beforehand, all the fireworks and stuff like that. And to, I think to come out of that game with a victory, which was a fairly scrappy victory as well, and a fairly scrappy goal scored by Calvin Phillips, it. I think that might have helped in terms of, you know, mentally for the players, I think it might have helped that they didn't fuck it up on on such a big occasion. Because that was probably the biggest occasion of the season so far. I mean, and, and it's nothing compared to that Swansea game towards the end of the season. But it is something and it is overcoming a certain sense of pressure. I think that's
2: a really good point, Tom. I'd not even considered that.
1: I was going to say I have very little recollection of the of the Blackburn game, but I've just remembered I was actually there, <laughs> um, which, which says a lot about it. But um, yeah, it it, uh, it was an interesting, it's certainly an interesting um, uh, period, and I, I I don't even really think I don't know it's not like I think think about that seven game winning streak as being like a big a big thing because at the time it didn't feel like. I don't know, I, I, I did, for, for some reason at the time it didn't feel very comfortable, um, and I'm not entirely sure why that was the case. Yeah, I don't think it contained any of our very best
3: performances, because even yeah, the Middlesbrough no. game, Middlesbrough were awful, so yeah, I don't think you can really count
1: that. And then they came out of that and won like four or five on the trot, and uh, would get manager of the month. Uh, what a funny season, what a funny, funny season. Um but yeah, that 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 is true. I mean, I was at the Blackburn game, and I remember you said that we were really strong for the first sixty minutes. And it was we would come into that game, I think, after a series of results where we just didn't look very dangerous. Yeah. And um, we, I think, we scored two goals quite early on in the in the Blackburn game, and it sort of felt, oh, you know, this could be like three or four. Um, and in the end, even though we came out two one winners, it just sort of felt as though we hadn't really made the most of. Of, of the situation. And I think maybe that period to me, at least feels like there were, there was situations like that, like the, the Luton game as well, where it sort of felt, however we look at it, it sort of did feel because of that piece of commentary by the Luton, uh, commentator where, where he gets annoyed at, at, at a potential foul. And then uh, on, I think it's Izzy Brown, isn't it? And then Bamford yeah. goes and scores even still. And then s- sort of scraping in another finish right at the end of that game. Um, through Bamford, It just sort of felt as though we weren't really deserving of our results. Same with Reading. Reading caused us a lot of problems and we and we had that sort of breakaway goal from a corner where we uh, ended up sort of flying the ball in, a deflection from a Costa cross into, into Harrison's booming header. But even that, you know, it sort of felt like we'd, we'd sort of lucked out and we didn't feel as though we were really playing as well as we had, but we were getting results. Same with the Huddersfield game as well, where we talked about where they, they pressed us really high and, and, and sort of the Gagan pressed us a lot and we just didn't... Didn't have anything to do with it, really. And interestingly, like no one did that for the rest of the season until Barnsley, and those were two of the yeah. results that we really struggled with. So, um, yeah, there's,
3: there's a couple of uh, things. Just I thought I'd mention the Huddersfield game was the first time we saw Ben White in midfield, wasn't it? Oh yeah. And um, yeah. and and the whole game, uh, I always bang on about this because I just thought it was extraordinary. But I thought Barardi's performance in that whole game was absolutely outstanding. He was marking Tom Eaves, who's a giant. Um, centre forward for Hull and he he was just kind of like scrabbling around at his feet but coming away with the ball every time it 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 looked like such a physical mi- mismatch when uh, when you saw them two, the two of them stood next to each other but Berardi had no problems with him at all and i think in general the the contribution to this season of Berardi has been a really positive one um He's never let the team down when he's come in. There's not there's not been any red mist or any moments where he's um, had his you know his violent his violent urges haven't really come to the, <laughs> the fore this this season. Well, they've not come to the fore at all. Uh, so so it's a uh, yeah. And th- and that game to me felt like probably his best ever performance for Leeds. So I thought it, it's worth just highlighting that.
2: Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of clean sheets and we got we got a lot of clean sheets didn't, during this period. You used to play as a
3: central defender Darren. I don't think you ever I certainly that did. Yeah, no, I certainly
2: <laughs> did. But uh you know, I, I love a clean sheet almost as much as I love to see three goals going in at the other end. So, uh I was very happy during that period because we lo- we looked really defensively solid.
1: I'm just looking through now the um uh, Cooper's injuries for the season and um he, he had basically he was he was not playing in the Cardiff game weirdly. Um uh, but he obviously was, he was injured for, for the Huddersfield, Hull and Cardiff games. Um, and then he had a three-game injury as well, um, Millwall, Birmingham and Preston. And then he was missing for the Stoke game as well. Um, and that was when Berardi came in. But I do think it's good for you to point out that um, Barardi has been a revelation under bielsa really yeah. um again i think that's probably because we, we have a series of central or have had a series of central defenders who aren't particularly good at the the sort of one-on-one uh particularly when we, we talk about cooper being done by balls over the top but uh, Barardi as well is can be um positionally suspect and and often will jump in <laughs> because of um because he's sort of out of position and, and it often comes down to that. Um, and I wonder how much Bielsa's system has has actually... I mean, we know what it's done for Cooper, a, a high-possession, positional-based system, which is actually reliant on man-marking. I think actually works quite well for someone yeah. like Cooper. Um, and I think the same is probably true for for Barardi as well. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I had a long conversation yesterday with someone about whether or not John Stones would work in our system, um, because obviously on the face of it you kind of think well we don't want John Stones but then on the, there's always that possibility where you're like well Bielsa plays this sort of really weird system where where the the, the defenders basically man mark the weakest defender will usually just go one on one um and and the other will drop in behind I, I, um and I, I wonder if I <laughs> wonder if that will work with I can see stones, from da- right? I can see from Darren's face that he disagrees but I would
3: absolutely I, take John Stones I think no, be fine. No, 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 no. like we're not talking about a player who's Who's been shit for you know a bottom of the table team? We're talking about a player who's not been quite good enough for Man City.
2: Yeah, but but the mistakes he makes are the sort of mistakes that are going to put a team like ours right under the cosh. Which they're, is they're, they're the ball also away the transition. sort of mistakes
3: that they're also the sort of mistakes <laughs> that
2: Ben White would <laughs> probably making in the Premier mate. League as well. well <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd ask me right now, and I'd, I'd much 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 rather have Ben White than John Stones any day of the week. I, is there I mean, <laughs> we're not going to have either of them in the end, so it's kind of <laughs> academic. But no. Keep John Stones as far away from Ellen Road as you can, please. <laughs> but see, that's my that's my
1: initial feeling as well. But then at the same time, I do kind of think you know Liam Cooper is doing like mistakes all the time like that before Bielsa came in, and I kind of feel like I've got, I kind of feel like it's it's, it's at least worth a gamble. I'm, I'm at least you, I'm be, with you, man. It would be interesting if I
2: wasn't a Leeds fan. <laughs> not having, I'm not having it.
1: I, I must admit, I do have I do have
3: a Anytime a player does things that are. Not what their position is supposed to do. I kind of instinctively like them, so (laughs) it's—I don't know if it's just me deliberately being awkward, but uh, yeah, I I always like—I always like the players that everyone thinks are a liability. Maybe we should sign David
1: (laughs) Luiz.
2: I'd rather have (laughs) Luiz.
1: Right. Has anyone got any any other thoughts on this long period of uh, successful incompetence or whatever we're calling it? Um, yeah, so it ends with the the whole game, and then we go into Cardiff. And I mean, we've talked about Cardiff, but uh, Darren, how much? Let's have your thoughts on on how much of a turning point this was.
2: I mean, in hindsight, it was a massive, massive turning point, wasn't it? There was there was a bit of a psychological collapse. There, we'd we'd not really conceded more than one goal in a game uh, previous to that. Um, but at the end of the Cardiff game, as I was walking out the stadium, I was just laughing. I just I just thought it was. I I, I didn't anticipate anything like. What the next 11 or 12 games were going to be like. I just, I just felt it was one of those blips. We, we would get over it relatively quickly, that there were obvious individual errors contained therein that probably wouldn't happen again. Um, looking at you, Kiko Kasia. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I didn't, I had no idea what was, what was about to happen. I, I thought we were just going to pick up where we'd left off, you know, in the previous games. Um, but in, in hindsight, it was, it was a massive turning point, which, which led to the most stressful, Part of, of the season, you know, by, by a long, a long stretch. And, and by, by the time, you know, I know we're going to talk about it next time, but by the time we got to the forest game, I was convinced that, that we were going to throw it away, end up finishing sixth. You know, the whole bit, my whole, <laughs> the whole jungle instincts had kicked in and I was, I was a proper Leeds fan again. <laughs> that sense of kind of going, everything's going to go wrong. We're going to finish sixth and Bielsa should fuck off, you know, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Do you like my Leeds fan impression? <laughs> yeah,
1: <it's> good. <laughs> so that's good. Sounds quite a lot like Johnny Vegas, weirdly. <laughs> yeah, a
2: little bit, yeah. Monkey!
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, Tom, what, what's your thoughts on, on the card of game? I know you're someone who's a sort of iconoclast when it comes to standard yeah. narratives, so I'm sure you've got an interesting take on this. I
3: don't, I don't think I do, really. It, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was, um, I, th- I think... It was made even worse by the fact that it wasn't just a three nil that we played about as well as we normally play. It was a we were three nil up and playing probably the best football we played all season. We looked pretty imperious, mm. and I think the the sheer height that we dropped from made it seem even worse. I guess, and I guess it's probably worth giving a mention to Pastel, Pascal Stroik, who you know was. Uh, i don't know if he was made a scapegoat really cuz i don't think it would have been reasonable to make him a scapegoat but he he copped a bit of flack for his role after he came on and uh and and missed that header and he's obviously come back and he's he's, he's playing in midfield now and uh and looks like he could be a real player for his next season so it's pretty worth mentioning his redemption story
1: hmm. yeah i think that i think <laughs> yeah, we do, and I think that's you know that's really one of the most powerful ones—the fact that he did want he did feel as though he'd let the team down and and uh, wanted to go back to the the area the divisi. Um, but yeah, ended up coming through and playing in most of the last few games of the season and playing very well. So watch this space. Uh, it seems like we've got a new uh, a new backup for the number six position. So there's another uh, potential transfer that won't happen. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we've we've so we've gone through it in fairly granular detail there. Anyone want to Anyone want to sort of sum up how the first half of the ceiling ceiling season feels? Um, at, the, at looking back on it now, so I'll give you both a chance to to pontificate on it. But Darren, what's, what's what's your takeaway from the first half of the season?
2: The overall, we were just about managing par for for what I expected. Um, up to, up to that point in the season. That, that because of that seven game winning run where we didn't look spectacular, we'd got our points average up, which made up for some of the results where we played superbly at the start of the season and not managed to get the points we needed. So overall, I was kind of satisfied walking away from Cardiff going, yeah, you know, we're still in really good shape. That you know, we played great. Let's forget about that last 20 minutes. Um, and yeah, overall, yeah, satisfied. Just <laughs> giving it a grade great what grudge uh, i give it a i'll give it a, you know a, a, an a minus b plus a minus <laughs> okay uh, and tom how about you
1: you don't need to give a grade if you don't want <laughs> No, please no um <laughs> uh, I, yeah i it,
3: it just feels like looking back it's just a lesson in in what stress and tension can do to the body because as I, as i was watching these games live i feel like i was sweating and feeling awful for about 90 percent of of the time I was watching, but then you look back and 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 look at it objectively, and you just realise that it was fine. It was nearly always fine.
1: Mm. So uh, I think we've we've arrived at the end of the first part of our season review. Tune in next week to find out what happens <laughs> in the second half of of Leeds United season. Um, just a few bits of housekeeping. As always, um, do keep your eye on our Twitter. Um, feed we put most of our stuff out through there so if we've got any new content that's coming out it will appear over there um it at this point of the season it would be great if you guys have if you've enjoyed us at least um could head over to itunes and give us a uh, rate and review and if you listen on any other podcast aggregator i'm sure you can rate and review on there as well that would be Great, just because it gives us a little bit more high profile when people search Leeds United podcasts or something like that. Uh, and then beyond that, if you love our content and you want to get more of it, we have a Patreon channel as well where we put out bonus uh, content at the moment, and we're trying to put as much as we can out there at the moment, um, which is quite easy to do because obviously the transfer window is is going uh, well in theory quite 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 quickly and strongly. But uh, when you're if you're a Leeds fan, that may may not be quite the case, but. Not so much. So I put up a um, a bonus episode this week. Um, it's a podcast episode with Riccardo Marchioli, who is the guy who wrote that uh, match. Well, those, those, that report of Leeds United, um, under the Bielsa for the last five games, a really in-depth report, which is well worth reading. Um, I spoke to him for about 45 minutes, just talking about the process of going through making a report like that and his thoughts on Bielsa and, and Leeds United and looking forward to what Leeds might need to do differently tactically next season. So if you, if that sounds interesting, head over to the Patreon there. We've also got a Joe Gelhart, um, scouting report over there as well that I cooked up this week um, and we're going to do hopefully a scouting report a week over there and also um, if you are a page patron you can uh, request us to put some data viz up over there if there's anyone that you want to see their radar of if you want to look at a team's I don't know average positions, map or any of the graphics that we put out if you uh, do want to see those do drop us a line if you're a patron and we will put those up over there um, so you can have data viz on tap three people who have done that this week and i chose these these people for for a reason because they're all called andrew um three people in a row signed up all called andrew um, and you know that's almost as remarkable as the season that Leeds have had so we're going to change our name to uh, all andrews aren't we <laughs> and many thanks to andrew booth andrew barwick and andrew turner if you're interested in the patreon channel if you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we all of the information on how to sign up is over there Deep breath. So uh, we've made it to the end of the podcast and all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Tom. Thank you. And thank you to Darren. Thank you very much. And we will be back next week with the second half of our Leeds United season review.